We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato after a wild weekend of NFL football. A lot of people terming it the greatest weekend of NFL football ever. I think as I look back and thought about that statement, and obviously it's hyper it's hyperbolic in nature, but yeah, for me. Taking aside my biases, like obviously my favorite football weekend was not this one. It was sometime in 2011 and 2007, but the best weekend in football, this was it. Like, yeah, the Packers Niners wasn't the most amazing game, but every other game was incredible. And these last two, the Sunday games, my God, were those incredible football games. And so what we wanted to do first on this podcast, obviously the gut, the main core of this pod is going to be breaking down the Giants candidates, the head coaching candidates who they have set to interview or have already interviewed. And we'll talk about what we like, what we don't like. We're going to focus a lot on Brian Dayball in this, as we believe he is the heavy favorite and also somebody who both me and Nick are fans of. But before we do that, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that past weekend of NFL football and what we learned. So I'll kick it off to you, Nick. Tell me one thing you learned or even if you might maybe already knew it and it was just hammered in this weekend, but talk about something you learned from this weekend of NFL football. As we now narrow it down to the final four teams going for that Super Bowl trophy. <laughs> Dude, when you think it's over, it's not in the playoffs because with both those Sunday games, I expected it to be over. And even that first Saturday game with the Bengals and the Titans, several different times, man. And when Von Miller sacked Tom Brady, I was like, okay, well, they're not going to possibly come back. I mean, they have Tom Brady, so they have a chance. It was somewhere early-ish in the fourth quarter there, but it still seemed like the Rams were making impact plays, whereas the Bucks were really struggling throughout the majority of that game. And then it wasn't over whatsoever because so many things ended up happening towards the tail end of that game for both of those football teams to make it one of the best games you ever saw. And then that was absolutely trumped by the fact that the night game was just incredible, man. The Bills and the Chiefs, that was one of the best football games I ever watched, specifically in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter, specifically in the final two minutes, bro. It was insane, and it was very, very entertaining, and it really sucks for Josh Allen that he has to go home because he won that game twice, but Pat Mahomes is Pat Mahomes, and if you have Pat Mahomes and you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, congratulations, you're going to be happy for the next 15 to 20 years. Yeah, this is the fourth straight AFC championship game for Patrick Mahomes. Um, one thing I learned is Josh Allen Josh Allen might be an, an alien from just an arm talent standpoint and from just a physical tools standpoint. I mean, the throw he made even before any of this, the 75-yarder or whatever it was to Gabriel Davis, that long touchdown, he had an open 
done so well by Brian Dable that he had two options there. The, the one he went to being one that almost no NFL quarterback is going to take with an open Dawson Knox there in the middle of the field for the easy option. He says, naughty word, or excuse my language, F it. And it just Howards is that ball downfield on a dime with an insane view to Gabriel Davis, who then gets to walk the touchdown in. Obviously, the fourth and 13 was another just absolute seed by Allen. But the throw that stood out most to me, actually, which wasn't even either of these two, was on the drive before the fourth and fourth and 13, where Allen was forced to step up into the pocket due to the pressure. And literally, as he's moving forward, and has no chance to reset his base and throw from a balanced base. He has to kind of stop his feet quickly and then rip a ball on a crosser. And that ball from an insane arm angle gets there on that crosser. I mean, watching these two throw, like when you see Mahomes on a design third down situation that they need to get desperately, roll to his left, to his opposite shoulder, and have the ability to flip his hips around and rip that ball into Kelsey. I believe that was earlier on the, the drive before the Josh Allen last touchdown drive, not before the field goal. There's just so many incredible drives by these quarterbacks. But I guess getting to things that we learned, for me, it's hammering in the idea that, look, you can build a great roster around a winnable QB, but these winnable QBs, man, in this era right now with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes still with a decade ahead of them, and who knows, Joe Burrow, if he can uh, transcend into that range, a few other options as well with Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, a few other potentials there. But even just having these two right now, it's going to be tough. You're going to have to be an outlier to beat these kind of guys because the Bills went into that game yesterday with the number one defense by all metrics. DVOA, Leslie Frazier did an incredible job, just completely shut down Mac Jones and the Patriots, a team that had been moving the ball well all year in that system. But in the end, when he faced Patrick Mahomes, it just didn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I mean, Mahomes, if not for a complete and utter collapse of his offensive line from an injury standpoint one year and the other year in offsides by his defensive lineman that lined up offsides to screw him in that AFC championship game against the Pats, Mahomes is in every Super Bowl. He's probably winning every Super Bowl. And that's the bar. Like You have to beat him to win a Super Bowl. And the only thing that matters to me is winning a Super Bowl. I don't care about grinding into playoffs and maybe getting a one seed like the Titans did or having a couple luck box games like everybody's like, oh, but the 49ers are a good example of the opposite route. Are they? Are they? Talk to me when they win a Super Bowl first. Second, like they needed the outlier. We no one's saying it's impossible to win without an elite QB. I'm never going to say that, Nick. And I know you wouldn't say that either. And I want to make sure no one thinks that I'm saying that. What I'm saying is you put yourself in the position of having to be an outlier. You put yourself in the position of having to block a field goal and block a punt and return it for a touchdown to win a football game in bad weather. And that have a lot of circumstances go your way. So I don't know, man. What I learned is elite QB still elite QB play is still king in this league. And and another thing that's just wild about like the current state of quarterbacking, who's to say that there's going to be another one of these types of individuals who comes through. I mean, we expect it to happen just because we've seen Joe Burrow. We've seen Justin Herbert, obviously Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, but that might not happen for a little while. Now we have next year, you have Bryce Young, you have CJ Stroud, who will more than likely go into the draft, the quarterback from Alabama and Ohio state respectively. So possibly they could reach that level, but there's no certainty or guarantee that they will. I, what we're seeing right now, it, it's very, very special. I mean, and Herbert didn't even make the playoffs and we haven't even mentioned Lamar Jackson, who's unique in his own right. Now he doesn't necessarily have the arm talent of these individuals, but he's still a very, very unique quarterback who you can kind of put into that competitive nature to where I wouldn't be shocked if he makes multiple Super Bowls as well. So right now, as currently constructed, the NFL is in an amazing spot in terms of the quarterback play. And I look at the New York Giants and I just hope they can find somebody who can live up to that. I mean, dude, Pat Mahomes had 13 seconds. The Cowboys had 14 seconds when they ran that quarterback draw. And everybody's poking fun at that. But even when that happened last week, we were like 14 seconds. It's not a lot of time, you know, to really set yourself up. Pat Mahomes had 13 freaking seconds. And he got his team into field goal range. That's just insane. I guess the number one ranked defense, mind you. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's, it's absurd stuff. And another thing I learned is look, it's not just these quarterbacks. It's these overall passing games. I'm going to say, I could say offense, but in the end, like the best offenses are the ones with the best passing games. So it's really the overall passing games and the final four teams are all this is another thing I'm, I'm thinking about the five, seven of the last eight teams to make the championship games dating back to last season are all teams that have a head coach 
who is an offensive-minded head coach with a background in play design and a background in play calling, still may be play calling in some in some areas and in some not play calling. Um, and in addition to having those elite quarterbacks in a lot of those spots, they also have the offensive-minded coaches. And so that's one thing I'm starting to think about. Do we really want to go to direction if you're the Giants interviewing all these defensive candidates? Obviously, we'll see what ends up happening at the head coaching search. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I know it hasn't worked out with the last two with Shermer and uh, with Shermer and McAdoo, but it's kind of like quarterback to me. You got to keep swinging. And just because it doesn't work out doesn't mean it's not going to work out. Or it doesn't also mean that the best ceiling is not to find a McVay or to find a Kyle Shanahan or to find, you know, even in some spots like a Zach Taylor. Like people are in love right now with Zach Taylor and the way he's commanded that team and had them bought in to play for him. But he also has done a great job designing that offense. And so that's something I also took away from this weekend. Just how how these final four teams are all led by offensive minded head coaches. Yes, they are. Absolutely. But I will say that I don't think you have to necessarily have the offensive minded head coach, but you have to have the offensive coordinator in place that can instill an offense that can keep up with these offensive minded head coaches, if that makes sense. Because I mean, if you go back a little while and then Kyle Shanahan, they don't grow on trees, but he was the offensive coordinator under a defensive minded head coach and Dan Quinn. They went to the Super Bowl. And if it wasn't for one of the most epic collapses we've ever seen, then we would probably be discussing how Dan Quinn has a Super Bowl ring and how he might be a little bit more appetizing right now as a head coaching candidate if he was a head coaching candidate. I mean, obviously his career trajectory would have been a lot better. So that's another big question. If the Giants go the route of the defensive coordinator, if they go the Brian Flores, if they go the Wink Martindale, even though he's probably not him because he's probably going to be in line for a defensive coordinating job since he was released by the uh, Baltimore Ravens, can they find the next young offensive coordinator that can kind of put his name on the echelon to be a potential head coaching hire in several years because of his offensive mind? Yeah, exactly right. One other thing I took away from this weekend, Nick, uh, Am I Nostradamus? Can I see the future? Because on that Friday show last week, I did predict the breakout for Gabriel Davis in that AFC championship. So now nah, I'm just kidding. You know what? When when I when I'm lucky enough to get it right and thankful and very thankful to the to the few listeners who jumped on Twitter and like shouted me out for that, I'll take the victory lap because I certainly get a lot of these wrong. But just more importantly, what I learned here is look, Joe Shane coming to the Giants, and he's part of that regime that located Gabriel Davis, a player who, by the way, if you look back, I'm going to say it again because, again, it's true. Me and Nick were big on Davis in that pre-draft uh, in that pre-draft time, and I'm and I'm hoping he can find another Davis for the Giants. Right, these late, uh, mid to late round day three skill players that you can hit on at a cheap price for under what a million against the cap. I think they're like six hundred, seven hundred thousand against the cap for four years under team control. And then you don't have to go out and sign a Kenny Gallagher. You don't have to go trade for one of these guys at position that is quite frankly injured a lot and not, you know, very volatile in that sense. So great job by, by the bills there. I mean, look, a lot of people talk about this game. Like I saw a lot of giants fans like, Oh, hired Brian Dable right now because of this game, because of how the bills offense looked. And then I saw a lot of other Giants fans like, what do you mean? the Giant, He's not going to bring over Josh Allen with him. And I think the kind of the answer, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take on this, is somewhere in between. Because from my point of view watching that game, I give the credit to the quarterback play and to Gabriel Davis winning one-on-ones. Like, if you look at Gabriel Davis against coverage, he was phenomenal in that game. And Josh Allen, obviously, we've just waxed poetic about him. Anyone who watched that could see what he did individually in that game as well. I do think that Brian Dable calls great plays. I think he has great play designs. We're going to get to that later, a bit later in this podcast. But I didn't come away from that game like we got to hire Brian Dable immediately. I didn't come away from the game saying we have to hire him immediately, but it's definitely a positive strike on his resume. It, it's not that black and white. It, oh, is it all Josh Allen or well, is it all Brian Dayball? I think Dayball called the right plays and put players like Gabriel Davis in the position to win one-on-one matchups. And that's a big part of this as well. I mean, that right. Which uh, the touchdown on the on the cop route, the corner post, the reason the safety wasn't there was because it was probably in the play. But Josh Allen looked to his right, pump fake towards Stephon Diggs in the middle of the field, close safety kind of shaded in that direction. And then he had two vertical concepts, the cop route from Gabriel Davis and then a bender from Cole Beasley to occupy that middle of the field, close safety in this. So it's a cover three. They, the linebackers are playing the sticks. So you only have basically three guys deep. 
that play had two contingencies to shade that safety away from Gabriel Davis's route with the defensive backs, the cornerbacks playing outside leverage. So all Gabriel Davis has to do is win inside. And he put a nasty move on that cornerback. He did. That play was designed for Davis to just win that one-on-one matchup. That is Brian Dayball putting Davis in the right position to succeed. Very well said. And I, again, I think he did a great job as well. Like I said, the play designs, the play, the play calling the mix, it's all there with Brian Dable and it has been for quite some time with the talent that he has around them. And what have we been asking for? What you just broke down, Nick, a coach and a call play caller and an offensive mind that can, and is looking to put these players in positions to win one-on-one. That's what we want. One-on-one, easy one-on-one matchups for the quarterback, easy one-on-one matchups for the entire offense. Now, again, as you mentioned, that's partially because the quarterback did a good job using his pump fake, using his eyes to kind of take away that middle, that safety who could potentially be there to stop that throw from being open. But at the same time, it is a good design and it leads to a touchdown. It leads to a big play for the Buffalo bills and for that offense. So that's one thing I learned as well. Uh, any other key takeaways from you about this weekend of football before we dive into some of these head coaching candidates? It was just wildly entertaining. And I think we really hit the nail on the head. And so many other people are talking about it as well. It's just quarterbacking, man. You don't need, but it really, really assists you. And this is not rocket science to have one of those top level quarterbacks at Josh Allen, who is not going to be playing in the conference championship game, despite playing almost flawless football. I mean, that's really unfortunate for Josh Allen, but having a player like that, developing him, grooming him, surrounding him with the right talent, building a system around him is a way to win in the National Football League. Now, let's just hope the Giants can find somebody like that or Daniel Jones can develop into that. And that's a big question kind of heading into this offseason. It's funny, Nick. For the longest time, I'm going to give him his first Big Blue Banter shout out in a moment. He's never had one. But for the longest time, my best friend in life, Gary Levine and me, had this massive argument that's gone back and forth over years, over long text, short text. We're both big arguers. We both don't like to set to uh, we both have our point of view and we, we, we don't like to give up on any argument. But the argument was essentially, in my mind, I always felt like it's much easier and you have a much better chance of building a winning NFL roster than you do building an NBA, a winning NBA roster. My argument was based on the draft was deeper. There's more rounds, uh, more positions matter, depth matters more, all things of this nature. And his take was always, no, it's just as hard. And, and obviously the salary cap as well. I obviously use that as part of my argument in the NFL. Though NBA has salary cap, it's more of a like loose cap, though I do kind of feel like the NFL cap is soft cap as well, to be completely frankly honest, so it's not too different, but it's billed as a hard cap versus soft cap. And his argument was always the NBA is, is, is or the NFL is just as tough to build a winner as the NBA. And his argument was that in the NBA, if you don't have one of the stars, you really don't have a chance. And there's a couple outlier teams here and there in the NBA that have done it, but it's very rare. And my argument was always, look, you can do you have through the draft you can develop a team but in the end i'm starting to come around to his side of the argument nick for the exact reason you just went over like if you don't have one of these star qbs you can be an outlier sure but are you going to win a super bowl if you're not an outlier and the answer is, are you going to set yourself up for multiple super runs for you know four straight final fours like the chiefs have gone to right now this is their fourth straight afc championship game is that going to happen with a Jimmy Garoppolo Niners type team, or is a Jimmy Garoppolo Niners type team maybe get there too? And look, they're, they're, they've now gotten to the MC Championship, what, two of the last four or two of the last three. So they're, they might not be the best example of this. Um, but again, it's not the Super Bowl and they haven't won a Super Bowl yet. That's really the key goal in all this. But I'm starting to come around to that side of the argument. I'm curious what your take is on that uh, NBA versus NFL uh, roster building. I think it's much harder to win in the NFL than it is in the NBA. Because I do think in the NBA, if you do land one of those guys, your team is instantly a competitor. Whereas in the NFL, it doesn't matter. You can land one of those guys and absolutely suck, which is kind of like a branch off of your guys' argument because I can see where Gary is coming from. Absolutely. If you don't have one of those guys, then you're not really competitive. But I think if you just take one of those guys and insert him onto the worst team in the NBA, then you're a competitor. Whereas if you take the best player in the NFL and put him on the worst team in the NFL, I don't believe that team is going to be a competitor. 
that's interesting side of it. We don't have to go too deep in this, but I would say there are some counterexamples like John Morant, for example. The Grizzlies are not an NBA championship competitor, but he's basically been an all-time hit for them, essentially. So it's a kind of like he might be an example of like, I guess, who would we put in that range? Like a Justin Herbert, right? Uh, even though they did kind yeah, of... Yeah, the these final. are young young players, though. I'm speaking more of like uh, prime type of players. Guys like Dwayne Wade in his prime, LeBron in his prime. You can say Giannis, I guess now, players who have been in the league for quite a while. And I'm not an NBA expert, so don't take what I'm saying uh, <laughs> with 100% certainty. I don't really uh, follow the NBA too intently. I'm a big Knicks fan, but you know, I kind of focus more on the Knicks. Yeah, let's let's leave it there. And if you guys are interested in this, join the join in on the debate on Twitter with us, or you know, be feel free to tag any of us and, and share your thoughts on what's hard, what's harder to find a, to build a winner in the NBA or the NFL. Because I used to definitely think it was the NBA, but as I kind of watch more football and as the rules continue to change in the direction they're moving, I almost feel like it's a, it, it's equal. Because if you don't have this elite quarterback, it's really hard to build build a, a sustained winner in the NFL. But let's transition a little bit, Nick. And let's talk about the uh, the head coaching candidates for the Giants right now. The coaches they've already interviewed and the coaches they plan to interview potentially and coaches we wish they would interview or any thoughts on the process. So where do you want to start this one off, Nick? What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, I think we should probably start with the the name that is most synonymous with the New York Giants right now. Uh, recently, not in the playoffs anymore, Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, who called one heck of a game last night, who has called one heck of a season, and uh, somebody who did a really good job developing Josh Allen, somebody who came out of Wyoming as a project. A lot of people mocked the Bills for selecting Josh Allen. The guy had like a 52% completion percentage in 2018. You know, he was a wreck mechanically, but all the raw traits were there. And Dayball did a good job, along with Josh Allen and his work ethic, did a good job kind of extracting the most out of this young quarterback. So I guess let's start with Dayball. Yeah, we can start with Dayball. I actually want to first talk a little bit about last year's head coaching site uh, candidate. So sorry to cut you off there, but let's talk a little bit about that versus this year. Cause I think it kind of transitions nicely into talking about this year's candidates. So last year, the big names were Matt rule, Joe judge. I'm sorry. Two years ago. Oh yeah. Two years ago. The last time I meant the last time the giants were involved in the head coaching cycle. Sorry about that. They were Matt rule, Joe judge, Eric B Mike McCarthy, 
Wink Martindale, Chris Richard, uh, Richard from the Cowboys, and or at the time, and then Josh McDaniels versus Kevin this year where he was in it as well. There, there were others, but those were the ones that Giants were mainly considering. Yeah, the ones that Giants are narrowing down to. So keep those as a frame of mind. In, or I'm sorry, keep those in your frame of mind as we transition to talking about this year's candidates or the ones that have kind of been narrowed down so far. Obviously, more could be added to that. But out of that group that was considered for the Giants, obviously, as you see, there was more of a uh, a mix there, some with an offensive lean, some with a defensive lean, and then others kind of in that Joe Judge, Matt Rule mold. And now as we move forward this year, there's been – Really, a, fl- a, a a big contingent of defensive-minded coaches the Giants have interviewed so far, with the exception of the one you talked about first, which is Brian Dayball. And we're going to talk a lot about Brian Dayball on this podcast because I think as of right now, he's my favorite to be the Giants head coach. He would be my selection based on the ones they've interviewed. Now, would I have liked them to interview Mike McDaniel and get his thoughts on some things? Sure. Would I have liked them to interview Byron Leftwich, because who I think has done a great job job developing Jameis Winston and does and and probably comes from an offense that I like, that vertically attacking Bruce Arians style of offense? Sure. But it doesn't seem like right now, at least, those guys are in the mix. And as we always kind of knew, this head coaching job was going to be tied to this general manager. And this general manager has firsthand look at both Brian Dable who's been the Bills' offensive coordinator, and Leslie Frazier, who will get an interview as well, who's the Bills' defensive coordinator. So for me right now, Brian Dable is my favorite. He would be my pick um, for some of the reasons we talked about earlier in this podcast. Again, final seven of eight teams in the last two years, offensive-minded coaches, offensive-minded play callers. I just think the ceiling is much higher with somebody who has a proven track record in offensive play design and offensive play calling. And so... Brian Dable is definitely a candidate who's the top of my list, Nick. But one of the things that really excites me about Dable is what you already mentioned, Nick. It's his ability and his track record of successfully developing a quarterback. Now, I know Jordan Palmer also worked with Josh Allen, specifically in the pre-draft process. Jordan, uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Palmer has also worked with a lot of different quarterbacks. Like That's his job. I think what's more important and who, and who I would probably give more more credit to developing a quarterback at the NFL level would be his quarterback coach and his offensive coordinator. Now that's Ken Dorsey and obviously Brian Dable, who the Giants will be interviewing uh, in person today and uh, as we record this and potentially could be the head coach of the New York Giants. And like you mentioned, Nick, coming into the NFL, a lot of people, myself included, I will raise my hand. We're wrong on Josh Allen. Yeah, me too. It, Josh Allen, for me, is a turning point in how I evaluated quarterback play as well, just to just to also throw that out there, because his development and his ability to have success in the NFL after being a sub 60 percent passer at the collegiate level at Wyoming, of all places. And after watching that Wyoming film, I know you watch some of that film, Nick, I watched I think I ended up watching 13 games of Josh Allen at the collegiate level because that was a big quarterback class for the Giants. I was dead set convinced again that Dave Gettleman was messing with the media about the Barkley stuff. I didn't think there was a chance in hell he was taking a running back at two. So I thought they were going quarterback and I wanted to be sure that I had a good evaluation on, or at least I had watched enough games on all of those options. And I was out on Josh Allen. I thought it was going to be a horrific pick and it was a big change in my kind of how I evaluate the position, what traits I'm looking for from a projection standpoint. And what I hope, you know, what I hope the Giants are in, in general looking for in their next quarterback. But Josh Allen needed a lot of work at the NFL level. Even you mentioned he was 52% passer in his first season. It's not like it happened, snap your fingers right away. This took time. This took development. This took the right pieces in place from an organizational standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. So I love the job he's done developing him as a quarterback. But I also think part of it is. Brian Dable has done a good job of putting him in position to maximize his skill set as a passer, but also to make things easier as a passer. Some of the things I love about Brian Dable's offense is he uses a lot of Mills concept. He loves himself the Mills concept. That's something we've talked about extensively on this podcast. When Garrett has done it, we like it. I think he also does a really good job, Brian Dable, of using inside-out motion to kind of help his quarterback diagnose man coverage, like man or zone coverage. That's something that's been so important for a lot of these successful teams, pre-snap motion, the motion to help the quarterback get a better feel for what the defense is going to be in after the snap. It doesn't always end up being that way, but at times you can see the quarterback can get a good idea of what the coverage is going to be and take advantage of that. I also like 
that he do. I see him do a lot of what Sean McVay does with the Rams, which is kind of those uh, easy ways to generate um, intermediate and deep passing game plays. So a lot of the times I'll see him have the wide receivers aligned in a tight space close to the line of scrimmage. And this can kind of allow for those deep outside vertical shots to be completed. Uh, I saw a breakdown that did a great job of showing this. So I feel like he has a good grasp on how to generate options for the quarterback in an intermediate and deep passing game that may not be, that may have not been available for Daniel Jones or whoever the quarterback is going to be for the giants in the Jason Garrett offense. I also think Brian Dable has a good track record of being a player's first coach and getting through the players. I read a great article about Brian Dable and Nick um, and how he kind of really brought uh, Isaiah McKenzie, who's kind of like the gadget player, the Tariq Hill, the Canaries Tony of that Bills offense in made him one of his own kind of had, they have like a very close relationship when McKenzie was kind of on the outs there after a fumble this season, Brian Dable's like, keep your head, keep grinding, keep your head up. We're going to get you back in the mix. And then McKenzie obviously had a really big game against the Patriots in the playoffs this season. And, you know, you can see it in the usage of his players like McKenzie. That's something that also has me excited as well. Um, this was actually a quote from Robert Mays on the Athletic Football Show. He said, usage, he said, you watch the ways they used McKenzie in that game. It feels like they were using him like a combination of Debo Samuel and wide receiver Cooper Cup. That's kind of the vertical aspect. Those were the things they were asking him to do in that game. Multiple different times they lined him up in the backfield or had him split back, a split back look with Reggie Gillum as an H-back. The way that the 49ers would use Kyle Usech. Usec, uh trying to <laughs> trying to get some numbers on the perimeter like that. And they were then they were just handing the ball at times to McKenzie. So I also love that he has a track record of using players like McKenzie, Ahem, Kadarius Tony. We obviously want to see Tony maximizing the offense. So those are probably three of the things that I like the most about Brian Dable from just a play calling mix and from his actual coordinating standpoint. Yeah, I look back at the Brian Dayball. I mean, this is somebody who was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, right? So at Alabama, they run a lot of power gap type of things because they can just bully the crap out of people and just own the line of scrimmage. Well, he attempted to do that and transition his team into the NFL, into a similar type of style. But then he realized that outside zone and inside zone was a little bit more advantageous for the NFL the game. And he switched a lot of his run game to be more oriented towards a zone based system. And I brought up this PFF article and they, and they have that broken down really well. In his first year, 2018 with the bills, he ran, you know, 17% pin pull, something that I like 11% power, but then he dropped that down to 10% in 2020 and then 7% from 11% to 7%. And 17% to 10% for pin pull and then power man type of scheme. So he went with more of a zone oriented approach. And I don't mind power gap, but I think you have to know your personnel. You have to know your team. And that suggests to me that he knew his team and he knew how to kind of deviate from something that he knew and something that worked at the collegiate level and then implemented it in the uh, NFL. And I also like how he's definitely kind of ditched more of the heavier personnel and went more to a spread type of concept. I mean, the bills use 10 personnel, a solid amount this past season. They're mostly an 11 personnel team, 71% 11 personnel, which is not the highest in the NFL. You have teams like the Rams that run, I think 84% according to sharp football statistics, but the Buffalo Bills, in terms of 10%, were 7%, which was, I think, the second highest behind only the Arizona Cardinals, who are known to use 10 personnel, which is just one running back, no tight ends, four wide receivers. I like how he oriented the offense to more spread, more modern type of concepts to kind of help Josh Allen, and also the way he's just used vertical type of concepts to attack downfield, and his approach, man. I mean, a big criticism we had of Joe Judge was there was some... Uh, people, I, I think he was a solid, you know, communicator with the media and everything like that. But what happened with Mark Colombo was kind of a mess, you know, and then you had the Jason Garrett situation. It seemed a little bit awkward. It seems like Brian Dayball hasn't had that type of issue with his fellow coaches on his staff. When asked about opening scripts, he said that the opening script is collective, which means players are involved and they practice it during the week. And here's a quote that we have about 
Brian Dayball talking about opening scripts. We collectively do this as a group offensively. What you practice during the week, what looked good, what you think you want to start out with, working on helping the offensive line, getting the quarterback going. You kind of put all of this together. But to go 1-15 to 15 on plays, I think that's tough to do because there's just so many different situations that are going to come out of the beginning of the game. I think there are some openers that you like in terms of just putting them down in an order and just sticking to that, but nothing that we want to necessarily subscribe to. So he's very open with his opening script. That makes a lot of sense. And the opening script is super important. And speaking of his script in general, that's something that I really like about Brian Dable, the potential of Brian Dable as well, because as you know, as everyone who's well aware, everyone's who's listening to this podcast is well aware of, I believe that the best way to generate a best, the best offense you can is to be a pass first offense in today's NFL. And Brian Dable has developed one of the most pass heavy offenses from a neutral game script standpoint in the NFL over the last two seasons. It was even more pronounced last year, but it's still the same this year. And they asked him last year during the off season, they asked him, do you think the bills need to run a more balanced offense? And he said, no, they don't, we don't need to be a more balanced offense from a purely, we run this percentage of time. we pass this percentage of time. Uh, standpoint. What we need to do is be more effective when we decide to run the ball. And if you look at all of the advanced stats or any of the box score stats, they will show you how much more valuable a passing play is than a running play in today's NFL. There are different ways to generate what is essentially a run game by throwing the ball as well. And he does an excellent job from my viewpoint and from watching his him play uh, call, call plays of designing Pass plays that are really just an extension of his run game and operating in a lot of ways in that sense. Yes, you're never going to be the physical team if you're a pass heavy team. You're never going to win that point of, you know, the you win the point of attack and, you know, impose your will. I can understand the that that that's something that has value in today's NFL. But overall, it's, again, more of an outlier thing to try to be that type of team and try to win a Super Bowl that way. And I don't think that he's going to bring that to the Giants. I think he's going to be willing to adjust, obviously, Nick, but. At the same time, bring a pass heavy approach, which is going to be, you know, fall upon really. <laughs> it's going to be something that I'm excited to see. One other thing that has me a lot excited about him is something I, I heard from, I believe it was head coach of uh, Maryland, Mike Loxley, who's worked with Dable. And he said the, the thing that stood out most to him about Dable is that he always, always, always comes in with excellent halftime adjustments based on what he saw and what he adjusted to from seeing on film in the first half. That is something the Giants desperately need. It's something we've talked about for the last two seasons. We've said at times Garrett did an okay job of adjusting to something he saw, but generally speaking, there weren't the kind of halftime adjustments that we were hoping for from an offensive standpoint um, to kind of use what the defense is showing you and take advantage of that and not let them continue to do what they're doing. That's slowing you down. And at times, obviously the giants have been slowed down often from first half into second half. So I'm excited for a coach who has, you know, has done a good enough job of that to the point where it's the first thing that somebody who was talking about him said. Absolutely. And in terms of Brian Dayball, all, all this stuff that we're mentioning, the opening script, the adjustments, it just doesn't seem like he's rigid. It doesn't seem like his philosophy is going to hold anybody back, which is our major gripe with Jason Garrett. We feel, felt like Jason Garrett came into this job and he was like, we're going to limit Daniel Jones's turnovers. In theory, that sounds excellent because Daniel Jones was kind of a disaster in his first year in terms of turning the football over with the fumbles and some of the ill-advised interceptions. But in doing so, you make your offense incredibly conservative. That doesn't seem like it's going to be Brian Dayball. I mean, Brian Dayball was aggressive when he had Josh Allen. And Josh Allen always had these physical gifts, but he wasn't necessarily the quarterback that he was today. Back in 2018, he was still you know, airing the ball out and doing all those things that we kind of wanted Jason Garrett to do a little bit more to despite the fact the Giants offensive line sucks. So I love the fact that I don't believe Brian Dayball is going to be this type of kind of tepid, conservative offensive play caller. This is going to be somebody who is going to attack. He's going to use multiple vertical concepts and he's going to air the ball out on first down. He's going to do it on third down. He's going to do it on second and short. I don't think we're going to see too many just run the football in the most obvious situations. It doesn't seem like that's going to be Brian Dayball. It's going to be something that, is going to be fluid with the game, with the flow of the game, and not necessarily a, a philosophical part 
that is going to hold the offense back, which I felt like was Jason Garrett's biggest gripe, right? I'm just going to call three plays. We're going to get 10 yards and we're going to continue. I don't think that's going to be Brian Dayball. We're going to go for chunk plays. We're going to go for explosive plays because that's what wins football games. Yeah, you nailed it. And it's something we've been harping on now for two straight years. We're not we're not believers in trying to get to that first down marker over and over and over again, just so you can get into the red zone and bog down. We're believers in going for explosive plays, even if it means sometimes you have to punt the ball, right? Sometimes you might get in a third and long situation because you tried to get aggressive on early downs. That's fine when the flip side is advancing the ball four times to the first down marker and then having to punt or kick a field goal or you know bat- barrel down in the red zone after wasting seven minutes of game clock for three points. Because three points has not been a winning recipe for the Giants for a really long time now, for two straight years and probably dating back longer. I mean, the offense hasn't really been good since 2015. So I believe in I really do believe in that. And I believe in you see it, you know, you watch his plays, you watch any game film of the Bills and we'll do we're going to break down some of what we saw from Brian Dable on film as far as uh, breakdowns of the X's and O's of those plays. We're going to do that on the next podcast. We're going to drop a twofer here. That one will be breaking down schematically and X's and O's wise what we hope for in the next coordinators. And obviously that could be just the coach if he's coordinating that side of the ball, the head coach. But like you said, Nick, it's the approach and you see it in the film. You see he's running a lot of Mills concepts, right? You see he's running a lot of these like tight, these tight uh, alignment pre-snap, these what they're called deep wave routes, something I did not see once watching Jason Garrett's film. I did not see the, that route combination once, and I watched him use it to get guys open. There was one play that's, that I think that was actually that I saw this video that was from the uh, Mike Loxley, the Maryland coach, where he designed a play with these deep wave routes that got two vertical shots open against the Raiders. Josh Allen literally had his pick of two wide open wide receivers for a 40 plus yard touchdown. It was his choice where to go with the ball. It didn't matter. It was a touchdown either way. How often do you see that in the NFL? Have we seen, did we see that once in the Jason Garrett era? Did we see one time Daniel Jones had the option of throwing to two wide open receivers on a deep vertical route? I don't think we saw that once, did we? I don't believe so, and and if someone wants to correct us, please do, because uh, if that's the case, I mean, good on Jason Garrett for one play, but I, I think Brian Dayball will be able to set up that situation at least more than once in a season. Yeah, exactly, and he has, and he has a track record of it. You can watch the Bills film and see these guys running open. It's not Andy Reid levels of route concepts, I don't think, but and route combinations, but it's it's damn, it's not damn close, but look, he does a good job of it. And more like Nick was saying, it's vertically attacking. It's doing what we think can lead the Giants back to winning football games, which is design routes that take advantage of the vert- of the intermediate and the deep areas of the field. And that gives you the best chance to hit explosive plays and explosive plays give you the best chance to win these football games. And I think he has that mindset coming in and he'll bring that to the Giants, no matter who his personnel was like, yeah, it's not going to be the same. He's not going to have the stability of the Bills offensive line at first. He's obviously not going to have Josh Allen. (laughs) Those things are obvious. Anyone can look at that and say that, but you build the foundation for it. And once you get those pieces, the stable offensive line and quarterback who can make those plays. And again, it might be Jones. It might not be. Who knows what well, time will tell. But if you have that in place, that foundation from just the conceptual stamp from the conceptual standpoint, I think it's a really good sign moving forward for the Giants. As do I. And I think it's also we should probably do do our due diligence on Brian Dayball before we transition. I don't think he's a shoe in as he's going to be an awesome head coach. I don't think any of these head coaching candidates are necessarily perfect. Uh, Brian Dayball does. I mean, tell me if this sounds familiar. He does have the the background with Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, because he was at Alabama. He has been with new England. He was a tight ends coach there from 2013 to 2016. He was also with new England from 2000 to 2006 as a defensive assistant and a wide receivers coach. So he has experience in the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball. That's all well and good, but what he lacks is head coaching experience. He's never been the head man, which In order to become a good head coach, you have to be a head coach. So I don't want to necessarily knock him for that, but that does give you some reservation because Joe Judge was similar. Now, he doesn't have the offensive background that Brian Dayball had, but he was a first-time head coach that said all the right things. It did not work out. Returning the page doesn't necessarily mean Brian Dayball won't work out, but it's definitely something to note because I I think Dayball is my favorite for this job, but I don't necessarily think this is a 100% lock this guy's going to turn the franchise around either because there are some negatives that being one of them. 
And there were also times in Buffalo where they just could not run the football whatsoever. Down the stretch of the season, it was a little bit better, but that's also carries some concern for sure. A hundred percent, Nick. And everything we spoke to so far, with the exception of the story of the personal connection he made with Isaiah McKenzie, has been about him as a play caller, him as a play designer, him. And that's not him as a head coach, obviously. And that's a gamble that the Giants are going to have to make based on his interview based on speaking with people who he has, like the players he's related to in the past, the coaches he's worked with, like the resume is there from, from a play design standpoint, the resume is there from play calling standpoint. He's obviously has the experience as well. He was part of five different Super Bowl winning teams. He was the, uh, the Bama OC for the national championship. He won assistant NFL coach of the year last year in 2020 though. Again, before they hired Shermer, that was something he won uh, when he turned it, when he turned in that, unreal outlier season I, that that case Keenum season is one of the most crazy things that a coach has ever done like case Keenum was like top three I think in in um in, in I think it was CPO one of the advanced quarterbacking stats he was like top three for that season one of the most insane things I've ever seen what Shermer did with case Keenum in Minnesota that year um but again that goes to show like assistant coach of the year these titles are nice these these accomplishments quote-unquote are nice but they're not really, they don't speak to what he can be as a head coach, obviously. And they're no kind of lock. It's just anything the Giants take here is going to be a gamble unless they can, like, unless Sean Payton decides it's time to leave the, the Saints and I want to coach the New York Giants. And he just tells them tomorrow, or he tells them today, I want to come coach your team. Like, that's the one you could feel really good about if that ever happened. That's obviously a joke, but there was something today from um, the owner of the Saints who she was like, we don't know with Sean. He's going to let us know at some point. Nobody has any clue if he's coming back this year. So I thought that was interesting for sure. And obviously he has the, the past connections to the Giants. Somehow the Giants, this will always kill me, Nick. The fact that Sean Payton was at one point their offensive coordinator and Bill Belichick was at one point their defensive coordinator and just neither of them are head coaching the Giants at any point. It's always just going to it's always just going to get me a little bit. But obviously, you know, with with the guy like Dable there and any of these guys, they're, they're currently set to interview. There is some inherent risk in the sense that we don't know how they are as a head coach. Obviously, Dan Quinn is a, is a different example of that because he has the experience as that coach. But. Having said that, the situation is still going to be different coming into the Giants and rebuilding a team from where they're at right now. So I'm with you on that one, Nick. He's not a slam dunk, but right now he's my top option for head coach. So let's transition a bit here, though, and get to some other coaches that are not necessarily our top option, but coaches the Giants are deciding to interview. So we'll start with a coach they interviewed last week, and that's Bill's defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. Any thoughts from you on the potential of Frazier being the Giants next head coach? Frazier does have that experience as a head coach. Back in 2012, he led his team second in the NFC North, 10-6 and six record, lost to the Packers in the wild card round, had four years as the head coach, or three and a half, I guess I should say, of the Minnesota Vikings. And now he's just kind of been an assistant that's bounced around a little bit, was with the Baltimore Ravens in 2016 as a secondary coach, was a defensive coordinator for the Bucks 2014-2015, and he's been with the Bills ever since 2017. They've had a good defense relatively ever since then. I mean, the last thing we've saw less uh, leaves a really bad taste in your mouth. And I, don't, I, I really can't explain what exactly he was thinking down the stretch of the game, giving Travis Kelsey these free releases, right? allowing Travis Kelsey so much space. It was really mind boggling when you go back and you watch it deserves a lot of criticism. Ultimately, I, I don't want Leslie Frazier to be the head coach of the New York Giants. Obviously, they're going to interview him. He has the connection with Shane, and I think that's all well and good. But, I mean, I would much rather go the route of a Brian Flores than a Leslie Frazier if the Giants are going to decide to hire a defensive coach, which I don't think they're thinking of it in that manner. Oh, we want an offensive guy or a defensive guy, or at least not to. Uh, that's not the defining factor. I think they just want the right individual, whether that be Dayball, Frazier, or Flores. I don't think it's going to be Frazier, but, you know, might as well interview him because of the connection with Shane. Yeah, and as far as Frazier goes for me, I'm not going to I'm trying not I'm going to try not to evaluate him as a head coach candidate based on that, you know, final end yeah. of game scenario. And I'm not saying you're trying to do that at all, by the way, but I'm not I'm not going to do that. And I think the Giants won't either. I think for Frazier, it's more if you hear the stories that people say about him. It's all like this guy could be an incredible leader. This guy should be a head coach the way he get what he gets out of his players. You know, it's all of that type of ish like it's the what he can get out of the players how they relate to him how he is as a leader of men type stuff and I think that's kind of what kind of pushed him up through the Giants it's not necessarily as much oh his defense was number one in in DVOA or whatever it might be and I always kind of knew the Bills were going to, I should have taken even more overs uh for individual props in that game but I always kind of knew this was going to be the, the game where it all come where the roost come like 
the fact that they lost Jadavius White was going to burn them at some point. Jadavius White was their best player, in my opinion, on their defense, one of the best corners in the NFL. You can't afford to lose that kind of guy from your defense. And it didn't matter as much in the past, like against Mac Jones, for example, but against Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and all of those guys, it matters. And it, it obviously did in that game. But he, I'm not going to try to evaluate him on that. And obviously the Giants aren't either. But as far as Frazier goes, it's the same scenario and problem you're going to get with a lot of these defensive coordinator ty- or these defensive minded type coaches. They have to locate and find a really good offensive mind and offensive coordinator. And that's willing to come over as just the coordinator, not the head coach. So it can't really be anyone who's already in a spot as a coordinator in any offense. So are there candidates out there that we could get on board with that could run an okay offense? Sure. But I'm not sure any of those candidates are going to run an offense that I think is better on from a conceptual standpoint and overall than Brian Dables, to be completely honest, out of what I've seen. like, And as far as you also factor in the development of the quarterback, which is insanely important because the Giants could be in the market for a new quarterback prospect to be the developed as a franchise quarterback as soon as this season, potentially, if Joe Shane likes one of these quarterbacks in the class. Well, you factor that in as well, and the list gets even narrower as far as who they could hire as offensive coordinator if they make the decision to hire one of these defensive-minded coaches as their head coach. So that's always going to come into play for me as well, Nick. Absolutely. And I think the motivating is is a gigantic part of it. So I know kudos to Leslie Frazier for being able to do that for so long and have a, a nice career. But ultimately, I kind of think this is going to be a two-horse race for the head coaching um, vacancy. They're going to do the due diligence and, and interview as many people as possible because they felt like they didn't do that back in 2018 with their GM and possibly their head coach because Joe Judge kind of blew the interview out of the water, supposedly. So I think it's probably going to come down to that, but anything is possible. If he goes in there, nails the interview, and and you know is, is just a, a true leader of men, they could give him that nod, especially with the relationship he has with Shane. But for me, I think the odds on favorite right now is Dayball, Gordon of Vegas, and and Flores with Quinn as kind of the third guy. And I guess we should probably transition to Dan Quinn because he has an interview coming up soon as well. Yeah, we could transition to Dan Quinn now who has the interview coming up. Obviously, Quinn has the background with having led a team to a Super Bowl, one that they obviously, though, lost in epic fashion to Tom Brady, who almost found a way to pull a similar type comeback somehow against the Rams uh, yesterday, which is just absolutely insane at at his age or any age to be able to do that. But for me with Quinn, um, I, I have massive reservations about Quinn. I I've, I've expressed them in the past, Nick, but I'll express them again. The first one would be that he's being credited for this amazing turnaround on the defensive side of the ball this year, when it feels more to me, like Will McClay deserves the credit for that over there in Dallas for locating Micah Parsons, who arguably could, in my mind, be the defensive player of the year, let alone the rookie of the year on the defense side of the ball, and Trayvon Diggs, along with a lot of other players they brought in there who have done a really good job of helping to turn that defense around. So that's one thing for me. And the second thing to me is his team really never took off in Atlanta, despite having a franchise quarterback, until they brought in Kyle Shanahan, who runs one of the best offenses in the NFL. It was early Shanahan days too. So like teams didn't even have much film to work with. And he just put together one of the best offenses ever that season from a statistical standpoint. You look back at that Falcons offense. That was one of the best offenses ever uh, on a per play basis that year. And in the minute he left Kyle Shanahan, everything kind of fell apart for Dan Quinn. So my my main reservations with Quinn are just, I, I don't feel like his track record is as good as it seems on paper. Yeah, and I think that is a, a valid concern, specifically the the Kyle Shanahan point, because you're right. The offenses, despite the fact having Matt Ryan, weren't ever, I would even say like like great, like a top five offense until Kyle Shanahan kind of arrived on campus over there. So I think that's a valid concern. For me, Dan Quinn is probably my third option, but like I said, I'm more of a, a two-horse race type of guy right now. What about you, actually? You, you said Dayball is probably your top option, but how do you feel about some of these other guys? and specifically Brian Flores, who are about to go over. Yeah, I mean, out of the ones they've interviewed so far, I guess Flores would be my number two. I don't um, think they've though. interviewed yet, technically, but... Uh, oh, no, that, that they plan to, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Correct. The ones that have been either reported to be interviewed or will be interviewed or have already been. I guess Flores would be my second option. To, I, I've, I've soured a bit on Flores for a variety of reasons, um, mainly from what I've heard about some of the stuff that's gone on behind the scenes, the power struggle, and, you know, kind of just 
is that going to work again? They kind of already tried that with Joe Judge, who, you know, they gave a lot of power to. They let him have a lot of say, and things didn't exactly work out the way they wanted to. Um, I want more of a kind of, I guess I would say, fluid situation there between the GM and the coach. But again, more importantly for me, it's just this idea of the defensive-minded coach, right? And how hard it's been for Brian Flores to locate offensive coordinators and offensive minds that are going to work for him to turn his offense around in Miami. He didn't do a good job of that, obviously in Miami. And that made a bat that made a big difference in whether or not he could keep that job and whether or not they could make any kind of run toward a Super Bowl, which they hadn't. I know he did a good job turning that team around from, from the situation they put themselves in this season with such a, you know, at one point looking like they might have the number one pick, which would have obviously went to the Eagles, but I don't know, man. I just feel like there are better potential options out there that they're not interviewing. And so I guess by default right now, he would be my number one. But it's almost like I feel like this is almost like a one-man race for me with Brian Dable just being the guy that's kind of jumped ahead into the spot where you know I feel like I want him. I, I honestly feel like it's almost in, in some ways like the Joe Shane situation too, Nick. And I'm curious to get your take on this. We kind of knew the Giants were interviewing all those guys. that were supposed finalists that I think they took seriously, but – it felt like Shane's job the whole time, in my mind, based on their connection, based on everything we read. The Giants loved him. He loved the Giants. And I almost feel like it's been Dable's, it's, it's Dable's job as well in some ways. I mean, Shane and Dable have a really extensive history together. Shane and Dable, they they first kind of bonded and kind of got to know each other on the uh, during Dable's time as Dolphins offensive coordinator. And then Shane was responsible for bringing Dable to Buffalo. Like, Shane is the reason Brian Dable came to the Buffalo Bills. That to me says a lot, and he's been waiting for his opportunity for a while. So I don't know. I'm I, at this stage of it, Nick. As far as the guys they've they've asked to interview, I'm kind of like Dable one. My two is maybe Flores, but honestly, maybe Patrick Grant. I know it's crazy, but if we're just going this defensive route, right? We're going this defensive minded route. It's Patrick Graham for me potentially as well. And one thing I wanted to float to you, Nick, is this. I saw an article today from Ralph Akian, who is pretty connected to the New York Giants, and he said. Patrick Graham uh, considers the Giants his dream job, and they said uh, there's at least a chance he will get to keep it. Graham will be interviewed for the Giants head coaching vacancy and is reportedly interested in staying on as a defensive coordinator under new head coach, according to a source. This is Ralph Vacchiano, even if he doesn't get the head coaching job. And many believe the Giants would also be open to him returning to defensive coordinator in the right situation. So what are your thoughts on that? Patrick Graham, he, he called his, the dream job the defensive coordinator position, not necessarily the head coaching position. But what I make of that is I, I would invite it. I would love it. I mean, if that's under Brian Dayball or if that's under uh, Brian Flores, I, I would absolutely invite that 100%. I think Patrick Graham is a great defensive mind. I think he's a leader of men. He has a lot of respect around the building and, you know, around the league because Keith Butler, the Steelers defensive coordinator recently retired and he's interviewing for the position for defensive coordinator over there in Pittsburgh now. And I think he would do an excellent job with the personnel that Pittsburgh has Mika Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, Devin Bush, and all those guys. But yeah, I would really invite that to be honest. And again, I think that could potentially happen. He said, he did say that the defensive coordinator position was his dream job. So if, uh, if there's interest with whoever the new head coach is, then hopefully that would work out because I think he can really turn this defense around. And I think he has a lot of respect and I really love the defensive mind of Patrick Graham, but in terms of Brian Flores or Patrick Graham as head coach, I think I would right. go Brian Flores. Brian Flores has the experience. Now, again, the caveat to that is things that I don't, I can't necessarily measure. And that's what was that power struggle about? Now is Chris Greer, the general manager of the dolphins, more of a, egomaniac i really can't weigh in on that or was it brian flores which some people are suggesting but in terms of the x's and o's it seems like he had a lot of the players back in him and when he was let go a lot of the players were really really upset of the miami dolphins i think for me right now it would be brian dayball number one because of those concerns but brian flores i i wouldn't necessarily hate that now i, I do agree with you that i think having an offensive minded guy and bringing him in is a good thing in modern NFL. <laughs> Man, dude, thinking about Brian Flores' pressure packages and what he could do with that defense really, really intrigues me. And I think that personnel the Giants have kind of fit what Brian Flores wants to do. Brian Flores ran very aggressive defense, a lot of linebackers, second-level defenders up on the line of scrimmage, cover zero type of looks. Sometimes he bail out of them. Just a lot of manipulation of the pass protection of the opponent's. 
And I would love to watch that every week, to be honest. It just really comes down to how he works um, and how he how he works with the other coaches on his staff. Those are true, then that would be, you know, a turnoff, certainly. But I don't know the level of extent for the validity of all those claims. Yeah, that's fair. And I think from an X's and O's standpoint, Flores or Graham, I'm with you 100%, man. I think that I would love to kind of see Flores run that defense and run such an aggressive defense for the Giants, for sure. And it would be interesting to see. But honestly, from the other standpoint, from some of the things I've heard about about Flores, yes, he has proven track record and the players seem to love him. But at the same time, Graham's players love him as well. He was super popular with the players. I have both. You can have both. Yeah, right. You maybe can have both, right? You have Flores as the head coach, Graham as the coordinator, a defensive coordinator. And then again, though, you're trying, you're in that tough position of trying to find an offensive coordinator. Yes. And that's the big issue right there. Now, would Flores be able to bring over Eric Studsveld or George Godsey, who were the co offensive coordinators, which is kind of weird over there in Miami? Would the Giants even want that with the system that they ran? Granted, that system is tailor-made for Tua Tagovailoa, and I, I kind of think it's probably the optimal system for some a quarterback like Tua. Don't necessarily think it's an optimal system for uh, whoever we hope to be the quarterback of the New York Giants, whether that be Daniel Jones or somebody who can who has a little bit more of a physical traits than Daniel Jones. I don't necessarily know if I want that heavy, heavy RPO-only type of system. And it, I don't want to call it gimmicky, but it does have some gimmick to it, certainly. But uh, I don't know if the Giants would go that direction of bringing in one of those two guys if it is Brian Flores. And I'm not sure the relationship Flores has with those individuals. It could be great, but, you know, there are rumors that he's not all that great all the time, which, you know, because a lot of coordinators are kind of coming in and out. Chan Gailey, Patrick Graham was one of them. Granted, they still maintain a really positive relationship and are really good friends. So those question marks give me a little bit concern about Brian Flores, certainly make me lean towards Brian Dayball, um, along with all the offensive just, you know, power that Dayball kind of brings with him and his proven track record in Buffalo as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's talk a little bit about Lou Anarumo. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Former Giants defensive backs coach in 2018, current Bengals coordinator. He interviewed late last week. The Giants, obviously he made a, clearly he made a really good impression on the Giants during his time there working with the team. That's obvious from him getting this interview because he wasn't obviously a hot candidate. It's his first head coaching interview ever. The one he had with the Giants i say at least on paper, he's done a really good job with his Bengals defense. I mean, they don't have that much talent on the defense side of the ball, if we're going to be completely honest. Like, they don't have any elite corners whatsoever or anyone really uh, elite, in my mind, on that entire defense. I, I guess there are some definitely some plus players. Hendrickson's having another good year. B.J. Hill did a good job over there. They did a good job kind of transitioning him in. He's made some really big plays. And they have some good second-level players. Like Logan Wilson, I guess you can maybe say, is, is an elite player for sure for them or borderline elite at that second level at the inside back position. But they've definitely done a good job turning that defense around without any massive names. Yeah, they definitely did. And I think uh, it's a uh, well-deserved interview from the sense that Luana Rumo has a lot of respect seems like around the NFL within that Giants building. But at that same time, I don't think he's a serious candidate. I think this is the Giants ownership giving him their due diligence, allowing him to interview, go through the interview process, prepare for interviews, get his name out there as somebody who was interviewed for a head coaching job. And hopefully maybe next cycle, if the Cincinnati Bengals maintain the level of defense they had this season. And if they keep progressing in the playoffs <laughs> to the Super Bowl, then his name will really, really kind of pop up because I do believe he did a really good job with the Bengals personnel. I don't have too much on the X's and O's of Anarumo right now, but in terms of what he's done this season with the Cincinnati Bengals defense that is not known to be some defensive powerhouse he's done a really really good job but as I said earlier I do believe this is more of a uh Flores Dayball Quinn type of uh debate sure okay so before we close out here uh let's talk a little bit about the Giants kind of decision to really only interview so far one offensive minded head coach got th uh, what are your thoughts on kind of someone like Mike McDaniel not getting an interview? Obviously, now it's too late. They can't interview McDaniel until the end of the playoffs, at least, or until the 49ers are out of the playoffs, I should say. Um, obviously, there's some other names that came to mind for me. Byron Leftwich did a really good job developing uh, the quarterbacks down there, and he's obviously somebody who's been thought of. Obviously, at the same time, uh, Brian Call or I believe it was, yeah, Brian Callahan, I was considering as maybe a potential option to be interviewed. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, uh, coaches of that nature who have worked with successful offenses in the past. Any thoughts on that? 
on Mike McDaniel specifically, yeah. I could never imagine John Mara hiring someone <laughs> as a like head coach, Mike right? Daniel. Yeah, as a head coach. And <laughs> I don't necessarily, I don't care personally about, uh, so for those of you who don't know, Mike McDaniel, he's kind of a goober. He's himself though. And I, I think that's very, very refreshing. He definitely has the vibe of somebody who just ripped a bong, <laughs> which is you know <laughs> neither here nor there. I mean, more power to you, man. My, my concerns with him is he's never been a head coach. He's only been an offensive coordinator for one year, and he's also tied to one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, in Kyle Shanahan. So it's not his offense. This is more of an offshoot of Kyle Shanahan's offense. I don't know the level of impact that Mike McDaniel has on that offense, so that would be my big concern. I also think if Mike McDaniel's your head coach and you go on a five-game losing streak with the team like the Giants, who realistically could go on a five-game losing streak, that – that message and that kind of laissez-faire type of attitude will probably be worn with the media, possibly the players. So those are some of my concerns about Mike McDaniel. Give him, you know, maybe a little bit more experience as an offensive coordinator, and we'll talk. I don't necessarily care about his his uh, overall vibe, but others possibly, probably, I should say probably would because it is so relaxed, although I do find it refreshing. Yeah, not to mention, uh, in not only that, I feel like he, I've read that he, uh, would only coach in a place that has legalized marijuana. I feel like New York is, is New York legalized yet? I know it's decriminalized. I don't know if it's, if, if it's legalized yet. New Jersey, which I guess you'd be working in as well. We wouldn't even be working in New York. You'd be working, I guess, in New Jersey where it is legal, but not, uh, where, but it's not commercialized yet, or it's not, um, it's not sold yet legally. So just an interesting take there. I, I read that. I don't know if that's true or anything, but I guess the general thought for me would be, this is not the exhaustive list of candidates who they're going to interview one or two. If it is, this might just be a when, not if for Brian Dable. Yeah, it could definitely be that, especially with the Shane connection. I think that really kind of pushes the chips into the table. This was uh, Ryan Poles, the Chiefs guy who ended up getting this job, or Adam Peters. I think things would have got really interesting from the 49ers, but since it is Joe Shane, I'm, I'm starting to lean that it, it more, I don't want to say more than likely, but it's, it's, it's leaning heavily towards Brian Dayball. I think the organization will do their due diligence, but I think Brian Dayball will do his due diligence and and kind of knock these interviews out of the park and Look at the last couple of years, man. The Giants offense has been terrible. Absolutely terrible. There have been parallels made between Daniel Jones and Josh Allen all throughout the media. Now, I always thought that was a little bit of a stretch, but what does this organization want? They want good offensive football. They want to compete. They want to put points on the board. They want offensive development. And after having Jason Garrett as your offensive coordinator, it would be a total flip if you bring in an offensive head coach like Brian Dayball. Now, he has to prove all that in the interview, but I, I, I do lean in that direction heavily as well. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. All right. Thank you to everybody tuning in. We're going to do back-to-back -back pods here because obviously the, move, the news is going to move fast. We now just found out Joe Shane's going to speak on Wednesday, so we'll probably do a quick reaction immediately after to hit on Wednesday, that is, to his uh, initial press conference. I think that's a really important time for Giants fans. We can learn a lot there. We're going to do something next on what we, what we hope to see, kind of a 30,000-foot view from the schematics on the offensive and defensive side of the ball with the next coordinators of the Giants, things we've learned in the past watching these current coordinators, things of that nature as well. Thank you again for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Also, by the way, mailbag. We want to do a mailbag soon, so we'll send out some tweets to get questions for that as well. There's a lot going on with the Giants, so thank you all for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.